I mean, it barely even has an anti-drug <laughs> message. <laughs> it's it's more the moral of the story is here's how you is beat the green goblin with <laughs> your legs. We've seen it all before, so let's reload on a very special episode of shows that sucked and shows that blowed. Buckle up, buttercup, it's a bumpy road. Going deep inside the mainframe secret code. Some of this shit stinks, some of it's gold. It is ABC, featuring the VIPs of SBTV. Austin G and Dr. DB with our AT&C money. Weird TV is their specialty. It might be all four, just one, two, or three. Cause they're old and kind of busy. So go get ready and take a peek. So set your phases to download the rarity that we have bestowed. Special moments no one would have showed. Open your body holes cause you're gonna get told. Grab yourself a drink and let's unload. In a very special episode. Hello and welcome to a very special episode the podcast which reviews very special issues of comics. (laughs) This week, we are discussing Amazing Spider-Man, issues 96 through 98, featuring the famous anti-drug story, which wasn't approved by the Comics Code Authority because you can't tell people not to do drugs without mentioning drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do something. You know. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Austin Gordon, and joining me in Minnesota, pounding his desk and flaunting editorial oversight is... <laughs> Get me pictures of Ryan Alexander Tanner. <laughs> He's a menace to society. I thought you told me to stop sending you pictures, David. <laughs> I'm David Bitsenoffer. Uh, and in Portland, insisting that drugs are for everyone is... I can float. Fly <laughs> like a bird. <laughs> Uh, This is Ryan Alexander Tanner. And this week we are joined by a very special guest, co-host of the Amazing Spider Talk podcast, and the guy who literally wrote the book on (laughs) Spider-Man, Mark Giannacchio. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So yeah, these, this is a little bit of of a deviation for us. This is our first time recording, uh, talking about comic books instead of TV shows. Uh, but there's a little uh, there's a little Spider-Man movie coming out in theaters soon, oh, so yeah. we thought we would uh, try something a little different. Wait, I want to know more about Mark and who he is. Oh yeah, that's that's probably a good thing to do. Tell us about yourself, Mark. Oh well, um, <laughs> so um, I am a blogger and a podcaster about Spider-Man. I, I started my own blog called Chasing Amazing in 2011, and that documented. My quest, as I call it, to collect every issue of Amazing Spider-Man comics, including the three that we'll be discussing in this episode. Um, and I, cl- I completed that that quest in 2014. So damn, I'm you got them all. I got them all, uh, all 700 of them, or whatever. Damn. It was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I'm broke and alone, <laughs> but um, but I have a show, a podcast too, Amazing Spider Talk, and then yeah, just uh, earlier this month in June. I uh, published a book, "100 uh, Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die." It's it's published by Triumph Books. It's part of their "100 Things" series. They do them on comic book characters and and sports teams, and I think they're even having a Game of Thrones one this summer. Uh-huh. So, you know, branding, I guess I don't know, whatever. But uh, yeah, so this book, this 
you know, we talk to different creators who've worked on Spider-Man over the years to get kind of the backstory on different stories and character creations and all the fun stuff that goes into this character. And I'm just a huge Spider-Man fan, and I, I look forward to talking about these issues. Uh, you know, I, I I like these issues. I hope I hope it's a good conversation. But, uh, <laughs> can I ask you a couple questions? You sure can. I, I have two questions. Yeah. One is, what was the hardest Spider-Man issue to get your hands on? Um, was there like a white whale of Spider Amazing Spider-Man for you? Well, I mean, just from a sheer cost standpoint, the first one was, and I actually had to like go on a reality show to get it that never aired on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could just go on a reality show. Poor guy. <laughs> what was the reality show? It was, uh, remember that, that comic book men show that was mm-hmm. on? Um, they mm-hmm. were, my, my wife actually um, entered me onto the, the show. They were like looking for, are you a buyer or a collector? You should, you know, and it's basically just an excuse to like get people on camera so they can like attempt to um, either pressure them into buying something or, or embarrass them if they're selling something or whatever. I mean, it's, it was an interesting experience and, and we ended up actually like really negotiating the first issue down like big time, like, huh? like, like a thousand bucks less than what they were asking for it. That were you like, that's hard. not VG plus that's NM at best. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. No, I mean, it was, it was, it was probably part of the reason why I never got on TV was because they were like, oh, you know, our, our store owners didn't look too good on this episode. Oh. <laughs> but, you but, heard it here. But I had the comic and I had the story. But I mean, in terms of like other like white whales, I mean, actually the last issue I got was issue three. That's the first Doc Ock. Oh, yeah. And I mean, part of the reason why it was the last issue was it was just like, could never find a decent looking copy that was affordable and you know and and it ended up like forgot it was a a friend of mine was just like oh some some guy that i'm facebook friends with is selling his comics i think he had a three are you still looking for that one i'm like dude it's the last one i need it so (laughs) it's just like a a facebook message and then all of a sudden like i had i'm wiring this guy money and i'm getting (laughs) my you know this like cherished comic book in my hand so nice pretty um, I know that's a, scintillating. <laughs> I'm I'm scintillated. My other question, I maybe we should all answer this actually, is um, Ditko or Ramita? <laughs> what kind of guy are you? <laughs> I'm gonna. I got asked this once before by somebody, and they told me this answer is wrong. But I'm gonna stand by it. I say mm-hmm. Ramita. I'm sorry. Tell me more. <laughs> I I just. I like what Ramita brought to the comics more. I felt that the the it became more lively and kind of I don't, not realistic, but I mean Ditko was was more cartoonist, uh, uh, you know, more of a cartoonist, and and you know, like his characters were meant to kind of look a little exaggerated, and and I it's not that I, I appreciate where that was, but I just kind of like the realism of of Ramita, the prettiness of his characters more. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's you know, everyone was everyone looked like a model, which I know is kind of silly, but it just kind of made it easier on the eyes. And those were like some of the when I look back at Spider-Man, I mean, I, I think I read those issues going backwards more than I did the Dicko ones. The Dicko yeah. ones kind of like were a little unsettling to me when I was younger because they were just kind of so like a little unnerving and 
the you know how the characters moved and and just the the features and whatnot. So um, I I I stand by Ramita, but. I grew. I actually grew up with, with Todd McFarlane, so that's. Oh uh, yeah, let's talk about him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a uh, there's a guy who comments frequently on my website on my X Men posts, who's a big Spider Man fan, and he is he's in your camp. He prefers Romita over Ditko as well. So you're not alone, certainly. Are yeah. you a Ditko guy, Austin? Um, if you twisted my arm, I would probably go Ditko over Romita. Um, but I'm not real passionate about that mainly because i've read the ditko stuff a little bit more Mm -hmm. um just partially because it was reprinted more um Mm -hmm. when i was younger um you know i had i read it like in marvel tales um in the essentials it yeah it just seemed because it was the first stuff it always it was easier to find some of that back in the in the old days when not every single comic book you could ever want is at your fingertips in one form or another. Yeah, you didn't just torrent uh, every issue. Yeah, why didn't you, you just torrent them all, Mark? You I know, torrent, <laughs> Marvel Unlimited, or trades, it's just... And I kind of, I just kind of like that that sort of kooky, twisted sort of sensibility that Ditko brought to it. But I do, I really like Romita, and, and Romita's son, John Romita Jr., yeah. is, my, is my all-time favorite comic book artist. Oh, really? So, oh, cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he, Romita has to get props for begating. Um, <laughs> for having some good sperm. <laughs> yeah. For having good sperm and, and training his son well. How about you, Ryan? Um, well, that's, it is a really hard question. I feel like the correct answer is Ditko. Um, and you have to acknowledge it's one of the great stories in comics. Like, there's a couple of stories in comics where someone wanted the credit that they were owed for something they'd made and then they got (laughs) fucked over and then they got fucked over even worse. It's the same as Harvey Kurtzman with mad, you know, where you're like, Mm -hmm. this person completely laid the groundwork for this thing and defined it as aesthetically. And, uh, in all these ways, they built this thing, you know, and that's true of Steve Ditko too. Um, but I'm pretty much the same as Mark. I like the Ramita shit more. Um, I love Ramita's art. Like, that era is just... I mean, it bugs me a little bit that Peter got so handsome. And so, <laughs> like... But I, I'm. we're going to talk about it a lot, I'm sure. Reading, reading... I haven't read Spider-Man... Old Spider-Man's in a little while. I have the Essential Collection, so I just picked it up and reread these issues. Um, and... Just the angst of Peter Parker is just what makes it for me. That he's always distracted and has all this bullshit going on that's fucking up his life. Uh, and so that's still very present in the in the Ramita stuff. So yeah, I gotta say Ramita, personally, too. I agree. Although with, with absolute respect to Ditko. Like, unlimited respect in regard to him. But yeah. I don't think it's the objective correct answer. It's my personal answer. Yeah. David, do you have a, a horse in this race? Well, don't I have to? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Aren't I obligated to say Ditko? As a Doctor Strange fan, I have that's to say true. Yeah. Ditko. That's true. And, uh, just go with it. No, I think I, well, I'm not as big a comic fan as you. I mean, I was always a fan. I just didn't become as big a collector and read as many issues. So, like, I've never read these issues before. And I just got into Doctor Strange because I was in high school as a little bit of a proto hipster. So, I tried to go for something that was more unique. Mm. So I collected those and and like it, but I've always been 
and this will probably just piss off Ryan, but <laughs> no, I've wait. never, I've never been like fan, and maybe it's because I'm a limited comic fan to begin with, a fan of artists as much as I probably should be. Mm. In that I was more into stories, and there's like a minimum threshold that the artist has to get, where you know it doesn't look like just someone crapped on a page. But once they get there, I'm just more about the story, and I don't. I never got into, like, I really need to follow this artist because I really like this art. It was always, like, the characters I wanted to follow. And so, and when I start, when I read more comics when I was younger, there are certainly times that I was like, this comic book just has crappy art in it, and it yeah. was distracting. But provided it wasn't so bad, it distracted me. I didn't pay as much of attention to it as I probably should have because a lot of work goes into it, obviously. So you're saying that... um you're yeah, a Mark that, Bagley guy, is that what you're yeah. saying? <laughs> All-time great Spider-Man artist, Mark Bagley. You're a Ditko guy because he's Doctor Strange's creator. Yeah. And to be yeah. fair, like obviously his work was very like uh, uh, for what, like otherworldly, or there's a lot of interesting stuff that would go on in his Doctor Strange. And we should tell our listeners that uh, Ditko was trying to be a guest on this episode, but we were like, that would be five people. We already have Mark, so we turned we turned him down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he, from his, yeah. from his yeah. hut somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but maybe uh, we'll have him on. We're going to talk about Small Wonder in a couple of weeks. We might just <laughs> throw him on that one. <laughs> what he thinks of. The crack episode of Small Wonder. That would be better than having him on an episode about Spider-Man comics. So you can listen to how we all like John Romita better. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd love to get Ditko's perspective on Small. Who's Wonder. your favorite Spider-Man artist, Steve Ditko? <laughs> <laughs> Is it you or John Romita? I don't know. If, uh, Ditko doesn't sound like the kind of guy I'd enjoy talking with, though, right? No, well, he's famously no. reclusive. Is the joke, David? Yeah. Well, and and, <laughs> and, al- and also an extreme objectivist, yeah. Randian thinker. So they would all yeah. be moochers on Small Wonder, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that would that would be his take on Small Wonder. <laughs> Except for the robot. Yeah, well, no, I think he'd approve because it's like a form of legalized slavery, right? So that's all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. The robot, like, it, he's, they're creating, like, a race of robot servants. Yeah, and whether they're sentient or not, it's their fault for being built, right? I guess we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but... Uh... David, let's start with you. What's your overall relationship with Spider-Man? Yeah, I guess mine would be the shortest. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I growing up, I was a casual comic book kind of guy. So I I certainly knew of Spider-Man and I probably read some comics, but none that like really stood out. And I obviously, well, not obviously, I was into the Spider-Man, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. I don't know what the exact. Was, I think it's just Spider-Man. Was it just called Spider-Man, but. Yeah, the animated series. I think, yes, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man the animated. I'd watch that, and then I watched pretty much all of that, and then I've watched all the movies, and I liked the Sam Raimi first two, but didn't like the third one shockingly, and I didn't like the Amazing Spider-Man movies. But... Can let's just not talk about the movies at all. How's that sound? <laughs> that's, just, that's my relationship with Spider-Man. That's what I know. like. I, I and I know the movies aren't defined by what's in the comics, but and so I know. Despite not having read all the comics, like I know of the lore of the comics and what has happened with clones and all that stuff. But, uh... Uh, how about you, Ryan? Well, um, I mean, I've been a comic book nerd for as long as I can read, pretty much. Um, uh, and I read superhero comics, not much these days, but um, you know, I've read I read all kinds of comics. 
and I would say, I think when the essential, we had like these little paperbacks of the first maybe four Ditko issues or something. Do you remember those? A little pocket size? Mm-hmm. I had that. So I remember reading the very first like Amazing Fantasy 15 and then the first couple issues of Amazing Spider-Man, probably when I was like seven or eight. Uh, and then when the essential collections came out, I got the first five volumes and I would say that Stan Lee's run on amazing Spider-Man is one of my favorite comics of all time. Like, uh, both eras, the Ditko and the Ramita and the way it evolves. And like, these comics are really like near and dear to my heart. Like I love that. Like of all media too, like even TV shows and shit, the, the character of Spider-Man and like what he goes through and that he's kind of like a, a, an everyman and that he never really has a happy ending and he's always catching shit all the time. And the dynamic of like the responsibility of being Spider-Man and the shit he catches for having to keep it secret. Like probably one of my favorite ones ever that I can remember is um, there's one where a, a, a robot that is designed to track down Spider-Man breaks into the school and he has to run away to go turn into Spider-Man so he can fight the robot. And then Spider-Man beats up the robot. And then uh, afterwards, all the other kids are like, Peter Parker just ran away like a pussy when that robot came. <laughs> and he has to be like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm a pussy. Because he can't tell anyone. Or that he's always like, I can kick the shit out of Flash Thompson. But I must never do it. (laughs) I love that shit. And just feeling misunderstood as a teenager, you know, like, I just think there's so many um, universal feelings that are so well described by uh, having to be Spider-Man, like sharing that burden and feeling misunderstood, you know? Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't he get, like, unmasked, but no one believes it because Peter Parker is too much of a pussy to be Spider-Man? At, at least once. <laughs> yeah, by Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Um, in front of everyone, and they're like, I can't believe Peter Parker dressed up as Spider-Man. Parker, <laughs> why are you dressed like Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. But he was sick, because Spider-Man used to always lose his powers when he was sick. There's also one where he gets sick... And he's in, like, a stupor, and he, like, goes into this house everyone's in, and he's like, I've been Spider-Man all along! (laughs) And then they're like, oh, he was just fucked up on cold medicine. (laughs) (laughs) And they believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they're talking about it, and they're even like, hey, that reminds me of when Dr. Octopus pulled Spider-Man's mask off, and it was Peter Parker. (laughs) Am I right about that, Mark? I believe that's true. Yeah, that's that's correct. (laughs) That happened, yeah. And then they're like, no. so anyway these are some of my favorite comics ever and these are interesting these issues too because these are some of the very last stanley issues and i actually as soon as i think stanley never gets credit for anything because it's kind of like cool to hate him now or whatever but um i think like the minute stanley leaves amazing spider-man there's a real dip in quality and the whole thing and i really think this is the greatest thing stanley's ever done like his fantastic fours are really great but I really feel like that was all Jack Kirby's genius at work. And I think Amazing Spider-Man is really, like, the greatest thing Stan Lee did. Anyway, I love these comics. Long story short, at the end. Another (laughs) interesting thing to think about is how badly a character named Spider-Man could have gone wrong. Yeah. And, like, how easily they could have screwed. (laughs) Like, you could have just had a big person who looks like a spider and no one would have liked him. And it would have been, like, a six-issue run, you know? 
Well, someone I think Rick Remender I was talking to one time and he said um, that this wasn't the first iteration of Spider-Man because it was from Amazing Fantasy that there was some other older Marvel comics that would have these like eight page throwaway stories and that the Amazing Fantasy 15 was like the second or third shot at that concept. Uh, Mark, how about uh, your relationship with Spider-Man? Um, well, you know, as I said earlier, I really don't like the character much. And I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, beyond the 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 tech, the procedural stuff that I do with the character. Um, no, um, yeah, I started reading comics when I was around seven or eight years old, and you know, I I started buying comics around the time it was like amazing spider-man like 296 or 297 and i just remember kind of going through those issues and you know what ryan was referring to this this everyman character i mean there was this one image on the first page of a of the comic i picked up where spider-man was like in the cold in the rain like all shivering because he ran out of web fluid Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just remember thinking to myself, what kind of hero like is like <laughs> such a loser in his own book? That's that's great. I can relate to that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then a few issues later, um, McFarlane came on, yeah, books, and Venom came out, and like that took like little eight year old Mark and was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> this is radical, man. <laughs> like. <laughs> Because that's what we said back then. Extreme yeah. comics forever. Um, and, and you know, I had some fits and starts. Like, you know, the Clone Saga obviously was kind of a, 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 a fit of bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but then, you know, to, to what Austin was saying earlier about John Romita Jr., the, the run that he did with um, J. Michael Straczynski in the early 2000s kind of brought me back in and hard. And, mm. and, and that was around the time also like the, the, the movies came out. I know we're not talking about them, but that like kind of <laughs> renewed my interest big time as well. And, and that's when like the from the collecting standpoint, I was like because I went, went back to my I was like, at my parents house and I was like digging through my old bedroom. And I was like, like, oh, wow, I have like fair number of these Spider-Man comics from like the the 80s and 90s and stuff I'm, i wonder how many i would need to get the whole run and i was like i'm gonna try and do that <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was like you know and that's where that came from because i was just like you know between the comics and then the movies and everything my my interest was just really jazzed up and and you know it's what everyone has already said that the the the, the stories drew me in I mean, the artwork drew me into in, in certain instances. I mean, you know, going back and looking at the old Ramita art, the old Ditko art, um, and then in doing the podcasts, um, talking to a lot of these creators like like Jerry Conway and Marv Wolfman and, and, and guys like that who, you know, Roger Stern, who worked on these characters over the years and kind of getting more backstory to the stories that I read years earlier it was like oh man like it gave me even a bigger appreciation and like really kind of sealed my my nerdom for for (laughs) spider-man uh yeah as uh as for obviously to anybody that's looked at my at david and i's (laughs) website i'm an x-men guy first and foremost Mm -hmm. um that was that was my entry into comics um and if I'm an X-Men guy first, I'm I'm an Avengers guy second. Oh. That was that was the next thing that got me in that that I branched out to from the X-Men. 
but I'm a Spider-Man guy third. <laughs> so that's, um, and actually it was my younger brother uh, when we were kids. I was, I was into the X-Men. He was into Spider-Man more than I was. Um, and obviously Spider-Man, I mean, he's one of those characters and David, you kind of talked about this. That's like you, you can be very familiar with Spider-Man and having never read a comic book. You know, he's he's sort of the flagship Marvel character and he's in all of their licensing and their cartoons. And I grew up watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends on Saturday mornings before I even knew what a comic book was. So it wasn't like I didn't like know the character or wasn't familiar with the character. But I never for whatever reason, when I got into comics, I didn't immediately gravitate towards the Spider-Man comics. My brother did. And so I read some of his stuff. And then by the time I got older in high school and had more, you know, had a job and disposable income and stuff and was buying more comics than just the thousand X books and the Avengers um, is when I kind of started getting Spider-Man on a regular basis um, and could sort of stuck with it since then and went back and filled it in. But there are certainly eras of Spider-Man that I have not read um, that I'm not as familiar with as others, but he's still probably, um, one of my top characters. And I definitely think he Spider-Man is, I could make an argument that he is the best superhero comic book character of all time. Yeah. I, I always go back between Spider-Man and Batman. I'm right. Really, and I, and I think know. the, what puts Spider-Man over the top for me is, is the, the great power, great responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a little more relatable than Batman. Yeah. Right? yeah. Although Batman's supposed to be more relatable because he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any powers, so you're supposed yeah. to be like, "Oh, I could be Batman, actually." <laughs> but no, you can't. And then yeah, Spider-Man he's also is more billionaire, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then Spider-Man is more like, "Oh, if I got superpowers, this is probably what it would be. It would probably kind of suck, actually." <laughs> like... But ju- yeah, just the 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 fact that Spider-Man is you know spends his entire life repenting for this one terrible mistake, but then there's the juxtaposition between like. Spider being Spider Man is is this responsibility he feels he has, but he also really kind of likes it mm-hmm. and and enjoys it and is more himself when he's Spider Man and there's there's just all kinds of interesting and and of course the the notion that uh, when things are going well for Spider Man they can't go well for Peter Parker and when mm-hmm. Peter Parker catches a break it usually means something shitty is happening to Spider Man that he just can't ever be had that's just a, such a strong foundation for stories and awesome yeah i have one big question for you uh-huh did you keep any of the cartoons i created on your spider-man cartoon <laughs> creator i would pay a large sum of money to get back some of those cartoons that we made oh, it was like a windows what yeah. was it, what, like windows 96 yeah. whatever oh, that was. <laughs> Really wish. And it was like a Spider-Man cartoon maker CD-ROM. Oh my god, I wish I could watch those. It was and, awesome, uh, and yeah, they'd be every very character had like episode. little <laughs> theme songs and stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, so. David and I had some fun with that. I want to say one more thing I love about Spider-Man. What's that? <laughs> In one of the first issues, he fights. Maybe it's the Sandman. Yeah, I think it's it's his first time he fights the Sandman, and his mask gets ripped. <laughs> And then he has a whole fantasy of what will happen if his identity gets revealed and like how much it's going to ruin his life and Aunt May is going to be all broken and ruined. And so he has to run away. (laughs) 
And then later you see him at home sewing up his mask. Like, that's the shit that makes me love Spider-Man forever. You actually would see him like, oh, I gotta spend Thursday night sewing up my ripped up Spider-Man costumes. (laughs) It's great. I I, I always love, it's a few issues after that where he, the Aunt May finds the costume in his, in his bedroom. And it's like, oh, you, you stop masquerading as this, as this, you know, who you, who do you think you are? So she takes it from him. So he has to go to a costume shop and get an ill-fitting <laughs> Spider-Man costume. It's like <laughs> Goblin. And he's like finding it's like riding up on him and stuff like that. <laughs> I love that shit. Yeah. You don't get that with Batman. No. no. They should have done when they did Civil War and he like revealed his identity publicly. Everyone should have just been like, no, yeah. you're not. <laughs> you're not Spider-Man. Uh, so let's get in to the actual issues now. Uh, <laughs> half hour yeah, into the episode. That's how we roll. Uh, <laughs> that is that is how we roll. Um, so the big deal with these issues, and and Mark, you probably know the ins and outs of this story better than I do. So uh, chime in as I go. But uh, the idea is that uh, some group, uh, I don't know, was I don't know if it was the government or like a uh, an anti-drug organization came to Stanley and was like, kids love Spider-Man. Why not do as an anti-drug Spider-Man story? And Stanley was like, that sounds great. Uh, but the problem was that the comics code at the time, which for most of our listeners that are intimately familiar <laughs> with the history of comic books, was a, a self-governing set of criteria that the comic book industry adopted in the 50s in the wake of... Uh, some congressional hearings and a lot of um, sort of hand waving about juvenile delinquency and and how bad an influence comic books were and rather than be subjected to some sort of uh, government control or or censorship, the industry adopted their own code to police themselves, which of course also was intended to dick over a number of comic book publishers who were making a lot of money yep. doing the crime comics yep. that everybody was wringing their hands about. And conveniently enough, uh, the code basically neutered all of those companies and put them out of business. Well, it was easy uh, comics. They literally, yeah, they created yeah. a collection of comics people to create their own censorship. And they were literally like, Oh, you can't have the word crypt in the title of your comic <laughs> to be like, fuck you. Tales from the crypt, the best selling yeah, yeah. comic. <laughs> it was like very clearly. Uh, yeah. And uh, one of the one of the more laughable elements of the comics code was you you couldn't depict any sort of drugs. There was you know no drug use, no mention of drugs, uh, nothing like that, which then makes it difficult to do an anti drug storyline without talking about drugs. And Stan Lee, to his credit, said, "Fine, I'm going to do this story, and because I believe it's it's for a public good." We're not going to submit these for comic code approval, and we will run them without the little seal on the cover that says they were approved by the Comics Code Authority, meaning parents could rest assured that their kids weren't being perverted or destroyed by the comic book. Yeah, and I mean, and- my understanding too is that like not having the code like could have affected uh, the seal uh, would have also like affected possibly like distribution. I mean, at least that's kind of like how that you know like stanley had like frames it now i mean you know he kind of is known for hyperbole (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) right i know um but yeah i mean i think that was like part of the risk to it as well it was like you know we're we're doing this 
you know, anti-drug story and it's a good thing, but, you know, we're putting, you know, the, our, our bottom line on the line and doing it because maybe some stores, were, you know, wouldn't carry the comics because they didn't have the seal on it. So, I mean, that's just... Like yeah, because, of course, this was back in the day when you got your comics at newsstands, at grocery stores, at um, drug stores, right. just sort of normal, anywhere you'd go to buy something, there'd be a spinner rack full of comic books. Uh, as opposed to today, where you kind of have to go out of your way to find one. And what's weird to me, maybe not to others, is that these stories don't even feel that anti-drug. I mean, they're not pro-drug or anything, but like <laughs> the <laughs> that'd be quite the okay. no. It it's almost felt like it was not even that central to the story. And if I was just reading it at like. 13 years old i'd probably not even think of it as like oh this is a real referendum on drug use or anything aside from a few comments that are made throughout i that's not what i would have taken away i would have taken away of oh spider-man's fighting the green goblin again and he got him to you know feel bad for his son <laughs> yeah it, it uh <laughs> the, yeah it spoils a little bit our sort of our final thoughts and mm-hmm. in terms of its effectiveness <laughs> but this definitely seems like the most subtle, very special <laughs> yeah. episode. Oh, like it's not. It's, it's more of a running. Well, and it doesn't end with this either, because Harry Harry's doing LSD like way later too, right? Yeah. Isn't that right, Mark? Does, doesn't does Harry he do stay, more LSD? Does he stay hooked on drugs? Yeah. Well, in the in the in the issues where uh, the Goblin kills Gwen Stacy, it yeah. starts with with Harry. Spoiler. With Harry. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll stop my my Spider Man run now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it. He's on acid. Well, it's weird too about it is that it seems like whenever Harry Osborn does drugs, he has a horrible experience. <laughs> like all he does is lay in bed and see like floating heads of people accusing him of shit. That's all drugs do to him. And then, why would you keep doing this? Well, and these drugs are really abstract, too, because it's just, like, a bunch of pills. Like, it's not really clear what he's doing. Or the guy who's stoned out of his mind who almost falls off a building. Like, (laughs) is he just supposed to be high on pot? Like, Which, which of course, makes the comics code's objection even more laughable. Because it's like, you could maybe make a case that you don't want to... Like, in showing kids not to do drugs, accidentally give them tips on, like, how to get drugs or how to do them or how to, you know, melt the... For more on how to get drugs, go to... You know, (laughs) how to melt the heroin into a spoon and then inject it into your veins. It's like, he just swallows some pills. They're very vague about the whole thing. I want to say, too, this is probably jumping ahead, but the drug dealer who sells him the drugs (laughs) looks, to me, suspiciously like Stan Lee. (laughs) <laughs> did anyone else notice that he's got the mustache and everything with a blonde yeah wig, he did right? kind of look like 1970s porn stash stan lee i just saw the blonde hair with the black mustache i'm like that's someone he can't trust like, oh you know what i read i read mine in black and white so yeah, i didn't okay. see his hair color oh yeah yeah see so you missed out yeah he's got a little <laughs> thing going <laughs> Oh man! Uh, and and as a point of reference, these issues were on sale February, March, and April of nineteen seventy one. So that's that's the kind of the era that we're that we're talking about. I believe this first issue, issue ninety six, is in like Wizard Magazine's one hundred most collectible comics. Yeah, probably for the reason that it uh, doesn't 
it was like the first mainstream not comics code approved yeah. uh comic and i think that's when i first heard about it too yeah yeah i think i definitely first heard about it from wizard yeah i think we that's... all read the same wizard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you were buying comics in the 90s you all read that same wizard um Mark, did these were these issues harder to find at a reasonable price for you? Not, not, not really. Um, I have, I mean, I my funny story about it's actually the second issue of this run, which I, I, I probably my favorite cover of the three with, with the you know Spider Man and the Goblin kind of tumbling down the side of a building. Um, there was, I was at a comic book show and there was like this beautiful copy of it and um they were selling it for like next to nothing and i was like oh this this is great and like i was just so flabbergasted by how great it looked that i i just you know paid for it sight on scene then when i got home i took the comic out of the bag and the back of the comic had like all this graffiti on it and, oh, stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and, and that doesn't i mean actually from a collectible standpoint it doesn't bother me that much because it's like well at least the front that like that great cover mm-hmm. that i loved was 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 mm-hmm. pristine but like it did kind of make me feel like an ass because i was like why didn't i just take i mean you know they tell you you know if you're like a serious collector they're like oh you got to take it out of the bag look at it make sure everything's okay on the inside see mm-hmm. and i was just like no this is this looks great i just gotta have it i just gotta have it <laughs> <laughs> um but but the others no i mean I, I i don't even remember if there was like any kind of hoops that i had to jump through to get them i think it was like you know oh look this this place has them. I'm just gonna buy them now. Oh, I got the co- I got the drug code issues. Uh, Wizard Wizard Magazine didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked to hear this. Part of growing up for me was realizing, yeah, Wizard <laughs> was full of shit. Take that speculator bubble. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so in issue 96, the first part of our story, uh, Peter Parker is returning from London and the events of previous issues. Well, because the very first thing in this issue, <laughs> I know we're going to go slow here. Now, it just says, <laughs> now let's go back a few hours. And I'm like, back from what? <laughs> <laughs> from the splash page. Yeah, from the splash page. Is that it? Like, mm-hmm. And all the splash pages is actually a picture of the past, so they're going forward from the picture, but it's a photograph, so I guess it's like... Well, it's J. Jonah Jameson holding the photograph of Spider-Man oh, okay. fighting. <laughs> but you know what's funny, though, too, is to me right now in Marvel Comics, at least a few years ago, I haven't been reading, keeping up with them, but that was like the trope that was really bugging me, was I felt like every Marvel comic started with a scene, and then it would right. be like, six days ago. Like, uh-huh. every like that was constantly happening, so it, yeah, this is probably the first time it was ever done. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back from this photograph which if you weren't paying attention if you were just flipping you wouldn't even realize you were like looking at a photograph you wouldn't even think about it or yeah exactly <laughs> so peter was in london um ostensibly to visit his estranged girlfriend gwen stacy uh and ended up fighting some terrorists and in a in a plot point that i greatly appreciated he couldn't let he ended up not being able to meet up with gwen as peter because he had to leap into action as Spider-Man, and it would be too suspicious if both Spider-Man and Peter Parker were in London at the same time. But then he sells pictures of Spider-Man. It would be suspicious <laughs> to Gwen, and she's not reading the Daily Bugle right now. Yeah, but don't you feel like if she's still into Peter, she'd be keeping track of his like career, especially if he's like a photographer? 
She doesn't know if she's still into Peter yet. <laughs> oh, okay. And there's, and there's well, no internet, so how is she going to know what the, the newspaper in New York's doing? I suppose. So let's just... see. <laughs> well, is it like the New York Times where you can just get it anywhere? I don't, I don't know. know if the Daily Bugle is quite on the level of. It kind of changes through the years if it's more of a like upstanding paper on record or something like a rag tabloid yeah Yeah. i love that dynamic so much though that he's spider-man and then he's written about and he's criminalized in the newspapers Uh and then he makes a living selling (laughs) photos of himself to criminalize himself joey jameson but only to supplement articles about that he's a (laughs) it's just amazing i love that dynamic so much and then i like later on like, and you went to get into the 200s, like, Robbie Robertson starts being like, I don't know if we really need any more pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, Peter, he never really, like, goes to, like, a fashion show and takes photos. He never goes to, like, the mayor or anything. And t- you know, like, he only takes pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. But, yeah, that's one of those, that's one of my uh, suspension of disbelief breaking points in comics is when a a hero goes to a foreign city and then you know makes a big deal about being a being his hero identity and his secret identity at the same time. Like, oh, Bruce Wayne's in town for a big convention. And look at that, <laughs> Batman just swung by. You're like, people should have figured that one out. Yeah, at least on the third time that happened. Yeah, right? yeah. One thing that's funny too about Spider-Man, like I remember reading one where he has to like break the Green Goblin out of jail as like he's being blackmailed to do it, and he's like, fuck, I gotta do this. Like. He could just put on, like, a different costume. Like, he doesn't have to be (laughs) Spider-Man. You'd be like, I'm Guy in a ski mask this week. Just try not to climb on the walls or use webbing. So then uh, Peter drops off some pictures at the Bugle, uh, set going back to our splash page, and he runs, then he runs into his roommate, Harry Osborne, who wants him to take a job with his dad. Am I the but... only person that's weirded out by Harry's hair? <laughs> the cornrows? No, you're no. not. <laughs> <laughs> the black with the red. I don't know what... I, I've never figured out what was going on. It's, Maybe the, well, it's, it's the Tootsie Roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's got little Tootsie Rolls all over his head. It's oh, weird nice. because it's distinct. Like, it shows you that they're father and son. Yeah. But you're like, I've never seen a human being with hair like that. Well, it's such a comic book. Like, I can't picture what that would look like in real life. Yeah. Have you guys read the, it's a pretty famous issue of Deadpool from like the late 90s where Deadpool goes back in time to a Romita Lee issue of Spider-Man. And he just spends the whole issue savaging with good cause yes. uh so harry's pushing peter to take a job with his dad norman uh leads to peter doing a little rehash of norman's history as the green goblin and peter's history with the green goblin and he's like well i mean He's my greatest villain, and he knows my secret identity. But he's he's sane now, and I'm hard up for cash. So I'll also take this job. he has amnesia. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget about that. Yeah, that's the that's the 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 tool that Stan Lee has so that he can have his cake and eat it too <laughs> with the Green Goblin, and that he knows Peter's identity, but he wants to keep him around, but has to find a way to do that that doesn't 
strained credulity, so he always ends up having amnesia when he's done fighting Spider-Man. And Peter is very confident in this amnesia. He seems to have very little doubt that this amnesia is going to stick. Yeah, no, I, once you have amnesia, it never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> I love the comic book trope of uh, the way exposition is handled. Because it's like, everyone's just like walking around saying out loud what's going, like, <laughs> like, after I get off this, after this podcast is done, I'm going to be like, I met Austin five years ago when I was writing a blog and he used to comment on my blog and then we did a podcast together and then another podcast together. <laughs> I'll just say that while I'm like washing my hands after, mm -hmm. I always wash my hands after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I also like that uh, Harry calls Peter Parker a jerk if he doesn't take the job. And the evolution of the word jerk just fascinates me. Like, when did it yeah. become, like, idiot to, like, asshole? Idiot to asshole. Some, at some point in time after the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did the jerk the movie come out? Yeah. Now we're going on uh, another tangent. Late 70s, maybe? I don't know. Well, See if I get the cracked research team. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to this issue. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, after he takes the job from Norman, uh, he does some some web slinging as Spider Man and runs into uh, a a dude who's up on a rooftop, stoned out of his gourd, and about to uh, fall off of a building. And he rescues the. Uh, the stoner, and we get a nice little soliloquy about how bad drugs are uh, as he drops him off with the police. Yeah, we don't know what drugs this is, but yeah. No, it's very vague. Yeah, these are generic drugs. <laughs> I just yeah, want to see one guy in this three-part thing be like, I'm on drugs, and it's great. <laughs> they give you no reason to think that any drugs are enjoyable at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, and, and Peter makes the comment that uh, drugs are even more dangerous than being a superhero. Just just in case anyone was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, don't do not do that either, kids at home. <laughs> Austin, yeah. I feel like you skipped over a major, major part. I did. I did skip. I, I think I, I know what this is going to be. <laughs> so, so after taking the job with Norman, but before heading out as Spider-Man and saving a drug dealer's life, Peter runs into his Aunt May, who's <laughs> out of the town with her friend, Anna Watson, who is who is Mary Jane's aunt. And uh, they are on their way to see the musical Hair. Yeah, I know, that's pretty funny. Um, which, which Peter feels like is going to cause his frail old aunt to have a heart attack. <laughs> but and, well, speaking uh, of frail old aunt, she looks like the Crypt Keeper. In this. <laughs> I'm like, why is she a dehydrated corpse? Because um, she's old. <laughs> That's how they adjusted to the comic code. <laughs> <laughs> they moved the Crypt Keeper into Spider-Man. But uh, so hair famously has nudity in it. Well, famous for yeah. me as a kid, I was like, I need to see this part. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so we'll see how they deal with that. But it shouldn't be too big a problem. Why, Austin? Because Aunt May tells Peter she is getting lessons from Anna in how to be quote hep. <laughs> and that she's learning how to be a real slinger so wait i want to because <laughs> the, the joke is that she's using the term swinger wrong yeah but then uh -huh. let's examine the term swinger <laughs> so so her 
So elderly Aunt May is um, also old, but not quite a desiccated corpse old friend, Anna Watson. They're, she really looks her... fucked up in that panel, too. Where she's, giving, Anna... she's giving her lessons and having multiple sexual partners. Yeah. Is that what we're, yeah. we're supposed to believe here? But she looks like she's, like, in the middle of taking a shit. When she says, <laughs> she's, like, squeezing it out while she says it. It's so, not yeah. subtle. Uh, this this issue, uh, maybe it didn't get the comics code stamp because it talked about Aunt May's yeah. sexual proclivities. Yeah. Do you think, though, that since they were already not approved by the comic code, they're just like, fuck it. We'll have Aunt May seeing hair and having multiple sexual partners. (laughs) And what's kind Uh, of funny is Hep actually has become slang now. Yeah, she says Hep when she means hip and Peter corrects her, but Hep kind of works nowadays. Uh, Also, throughout most of this, uh, Peter is wearing a pretty 70s frit shirt with, like, leather fringe on it. The tassels are great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love when uh, (laughs) Jack Kirby, for all of his his considerable assets, was never quite as good at this. But I love in old comics when civilian clothes are of their time. Yeah. You know, in the 60s, Jack Kirby just put everybody in a suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but uh, I love it when they when they have their and Peter's got some pretty uh, some pretty outrageous '70s garb on throughout all three of these issues, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, so yeah, after running into his aunt and saving a drug dealer and teaching us about how important it is to not do drugs, uh, he then goes and meets his friends at a theater for Mary Jane's big theatrical debut. Uh, and Mary Jane, who is not the nicest person nor the most well presented in this story uh immediately tries to make harry jealous by rubbing up on peter yeah but we don't know well i don't know why that is but there's a story to that apparently (laughs) mark you wanted to take a swing at that one what why is mj rubbing up on peter (laughs) yeah to make harry jealous well yeah i mean well because you know peter is on the outs with gwen and you know when when Mary Jane was first introduced, it was kind of like to create a love triangle between her and Gwen and Peter, except that Stan Lee never liked Mary Jane. He's like, no, because Gwen actually looked like Stan's wife. So he mm. wanted Peter to be with, with Gwen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and Ramita purposely like tried to make like Mary Jane into this um, bombshell when he first introduced her earlier because he was he wanted to look like Anne Margaret and be like this total sex kitten. And Stanley's like, yeah, that's great. No, he still ends up with Gwen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I guess this is, you know, it so comes full circle now. <laughs> so story wise, there's no reason she's just into peter then right is that well she's like the party girl basically. she's a slinger like yeah she's, <laughs> she's a slinger <laughs> because there's later there's something where she kind of says like oh that's she peter's like why are you all up in my business she's like that's an interesting story you want to hear it but then we don't so i don't know i got i guess well I the story is that her she's on the outs with harry yeah okay Okay. Well, she's on the outs with Harry, but because the only she's on the outs with Harry is because she's putting them on the <laughs> yeah. outs. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I think the general idea that Mary Jane in this era, as soon as things start to get serious, she does something to make them not serious. Maybe. Um, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of both, like Harry claiming ownership over her either, though. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, like I said, she does not come off well in 
multiple ways in this story. Um, but then as she's making Harry jealous, uh, Randy, and this is Randy Robertson, right, Mark? Yeah, Joe. Joe, Joe Robertson's son. son or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Joe yeah. Robbie. <laughs> yeah, Joe Robbie. Uh, so Randy rolls up and is just like, hey, everybody, I'm going to give you a big soliloquy about drugs and how blacks <laughs> aren't into just exclusively into yeah. drugs. And then, oh, look, here's Harry's father, Norman. He's a rich white guy. Why aren't you doing more to solve drugs, Mr. Rich White Guy? I think this shit is interesting. <laughs> it really just dives right into like a lot of uh, politics. Here, right? He's like, oh, by the way, Mr. Osborne, my name's uh, Robbie. Nice to meet you. Obviously, this is probably in a more impassioned message than the actual "don't do drugs" message of these comics. I feel, yeah, I yeah. Mean, you know, just a totally of like the the you know the the issue between class and race and and, mm-hmm. and drug use, but um, it kind of like just sneaks up on you out of nowhere and then is in your face, which is kind of a little off-putting. <laughs> well, that character is always like, I mean, there's a bunch of um, well, Marvel Comics has always been really liberal. And uh, yeah, relatively speaking, and yeah. and progressive, but sort of sometimes cluelessly progressive, I would say. <laughs> um, but it was it's a bunch of Jewish guys, so you know they're not totally uh, ignorant. Um, but this character, because there's issues, there's really good issues in where he's in college, right? And there, there's some sort of there's protests on campus and yeah, stuff, and the stone t- t- tablet saga or whatever it is. Yeah, those are those are probably the best Spider-Man comics ever. Actually, I would well, say. I was like, but I've been told that comics are just liberal now, and now we got to get rid of all this SJW stuff. No, but they Marvel Comics have always been had an illiberal agenda. Like no, real. Ryan, it's just now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need comics like they used to be um, when, when superheroes weren't social justice. <laughs> but anyway, the character of Randy is always meant to present this sort of point of view, and it's one of those things where it's like, is it better to have a heavy-handed character that presents this point of view in kind of an over-the-top way, or to just not do it at all? Because those are your options for 1967. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's uh, Randy's detriment is that he's only he's only ever used as a blunt instrument of liberal progressivism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he doesn't sound like he'd be fun to hang out with, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he brings up some. I mean, he does bring up some interesting points, and particularly um, in the seventies, the, the sort of the notion that um, the drugs are a racial problem. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, that it's blacks that are into drugs and not the whites. Um, I feel like nowadays we're equal opportunity in realizing that anybody can uh, can get hooked on drugs. Um, but uh, then again, who the fuck knows anymore uh, with the state of the world? But um, it is. It's an interesting perspective for this time period. Well, um, he says to Norman, you're rich. You got influence. That makes it your responsibility. And it's almost like he's saying that with great money comes great responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not entirely wrong. Yeah. You know, it's one way to think about it. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So then during intermission of the show, uh, Norman starts freaking out because there's like a door. Well, I should Um, also note that Mary Jane doesn't seem to be getting ready for this uh, (laughs) show. Yeah, she's just hanging out with everybody. She just comes out during intermission. I'm like, don't you have like costumes to get into? Whatever. Well, from from what we see of her of her play, she's dancing. Yeah, but she's got a different outfit on though. Yeah, 
Yeah. Wait, so does the door just remind him that, like, <laughs> there's also another door somewhere that's to his hideout? Like, is it just, no. like, seeing well, a they, door? Or... They mentioned this... earlier that he owned the theater. At one yeah. Point. Okay. He owned that building. That once upon a time, he owned the theater. And so it turns out that he has has goblin, green goblin layers um, stashed throughout the city. Which was something I first encountered, a notion I first encountered during the Hobgoblin yep. stuff yeah. in the 80s. But I did, I, and I totally, reading these as a kid, like overlooked that, that they kind of established that here. That that's so, older so concept. much of like the legacy of Marvel Comics is like Stan Lee just farted something out. And then <laughs> 10 years later, someone will like reread it and was like, oh, yeah, I guess there'd be like Green Goblin. That's hideouts all throughout the city. Let's run yeah. this. <laughs> That's like what continuity is. It's like nine times out of ten, the person who thought of it originally when it comes back is like, what? Yeah, exactly. Continuity is following up on Stanley's farts. Is that what you're saying, right? <laughs> exactly. And that, Jack Kirby's. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just like continuity is more tightly held by people who have read. Yeah. Totally. The <laughs> writer than the writer themselves who just forgot it the minute they wrote it yeah absolutely so yeah he sees a door norman sees a door and he freaks out about that and it also makes peter's spider sense tingle uh so he sticks around after the show and follows norman who goes through the door and discovers that it's one of his old green goblin layers and that uh wouldn't you know it erases that amnesia <laughs> and restores his memories uh of his life as the green goblin as well as uh Peter's identity as Spider-Man and then he flies out and attacks Spider-Man. Dun dun dun. What do you think of um, it'd be interesting to talk to especially Mark and not Austin and David. Um, What do you think (laughs) of the Green Goblin as like the ultimate Spider-Man villain? Like do you do you adhere to that? Oh man, I'm gonna give another wrong answer. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think mine's gonna be the same as yours. Okay, I my thing is well, unless I, you say Craven the Hunter, in which no. case it's gonna get, <laughs> it's gonna get bad around here. It's um, Carnage, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the clone. Um, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Howard Mackey is the greatest Spider-Man <laughs> of all time. <laughs> I was, I was gonna say, I think Doc Ock. Yep, is, me too. Is because yep. he it's there's a you know there's a, also a symbolism to Doc Ock. I mean, they're both men of science, and you know through scientific mishaps gain their powers. But you know, Peter, I always believe that Peter was basically could have gone down the path of Doc Ock if he chose not to use his powers responsibly, but because of the mistakes he made and trying to learn from those mistakes. That's why he becomes a hero and Doc Ock is a villain. That's kind of always the, the, the dichotomy that I see the two characters as, whereas the green goblin just kind of, you know, yes, he knows his identity, but like, it was like, you know, Oh, he did some, he was involved with some bad shit with Spider-Man. Let's just keep like building on the bad shit. Oh, he killed his girlfriend. Oh, now he like murdered their baby and killed his aunt and, made a clone and like so they just kind of build and build and built that that osborne was the guy but i feel like from a symbolism standpoint doc ock is more that character that nemesis i guess the the green goblin is also just never really even made sense to me like what the fuck is he like he's just like a guy it's just like such an esoteric concept and design to me like um 
Yeah, when when John Byrne did the the kind of retelling of Spider-Man's origin in the 90s, it was like complete garbage, except that he had the idea that Dr. Octopus would be the scientist who was running the experiment Mm. that led to, you know, on the spider that led to spider, like that the same accident created both of them. Right. And I was like, that would actually is really makes it make ties it together really neatly, actually. Um, anyway, I just aesthetically too just prefer Doctor Octopus as the Green Goblin. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said, Mark. I'm a Doc Ock number one guy. Um, back in back in the '90s, Wizard had a like a special <laughs> issue that was just about the villains. It was called like the Dark Book or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I forget if if I if they put this idea forward or if I pieced it together from reading that. But I started to think of heroes villains in terms of like every hero having a top three, mm-hmm. and the top three would be a character who's like the dark reflection of the hero, who's the thematic counterpart, and who has a like personal connection to the hero. And so, like, Venom, obviously, is the dark reflection. Mm-hmm. Doc Ock is the thematic uh, counterpart. They're, like you said, they're both men of science. Um, one uses his scientifically gained powers for good, the other for evil. And then Norman is the, is the has a personal connection to the hero because he knows his identity and he's his friend's dad. And so he has to always hold back and then he kills his girlfriend. And so it's a lot more personal with him. Yeah, no. I, but uh, yeah, Doc Ock is Doc Ock is number one. I'm just saying, like, let's say you get some superpowers or whatever, you know. What the what the fuck point are you gonna be like? Oh, I know. I'll be the Green Goblin, <laughs> and I'll have be green and have a purple hat and throw pumpkins. Like, just what that? Where's that coming from? It's just like, okay, I got spider powers. I guess I'll do some spider theme shit, you know. But where, where the Goblin? What is that? Well, the original pitch for the Goblin was, like, Stanley wanted it to be, like, an Egyptian, like, mystical demon that got, like, resurrected. And Ditko was like, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) 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 I feel like Ditko probably spent a lot of his time doing that. And his glider used to be more of, like, a broom shape, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, before he got the bat wing. My my favorite um like hacky plot it's like I don't know if it's the first Green Goblin story but it's one of them you can if you read a lot of old Marvel comics there's all these recurring plots that are used like by yeah, Stanley because they're all because they're all like scripted by one guy so. <laughs> yeah where he just ah let's do this one again in Daredevil <laughs> um and the I think the best worst old Marvel plot is that a villain convinces you that you're going to play yourself in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, um, I I believe it's the Green Goblin, like, gets a director to be like, all right, Spider-Man, we're casting you to play Spider-Man in a movie about you. And he's like, okay. (laughs) And then the thing is, too, is that they never even, like, and then they just, like, basically attack him. (laughs) Like, it's never even, like, Oh, then you put him on a plane to go fly to the set, and you crash the plane or something like that. So he's like, he gets there safely, and then it's just like, ah, I'm gonna fuck you up. I'm the Green Goblin. It's like, why'd you bother with the whole movie premise? Why don't you just attack him in the city like you always do? Like what? I don't know. It was his first appearance, Ryan. He hadn't attacked him anywhere yet. <laughs> but it's like they did that in the Fantastic Four too. Yep. It's just like yep. what the hell. <laughs> uh David the Jerk, starring Steve Martin. <laughs> 
came out in uh, 1979. Okay, so it was like the 80s that we decided to jerk meant something else. I guess so, yeah. Uh, so next issue, uh, number 97, uh, begins with right. Spider-Man. What? Well, uh, we can talk about the cover, because I feel bad. Because <laughs> we're talking about how much he loved it. Oh, and no. frankly, I have no problem with the art, actually. I just have a problem with the phrase, Spidey fights the goblin, and lots, lots more, Nuff said. <laughs> and I'm saying, you can't say, and lots, lots more, and Nuff said in the same sentence. They negate each other, right? <laughs> like, I you gotta tell me what the lots, lots more is, or just Spidey fights the goblin, is Nuff said. That's but enough said, it's like, that's all you need to know. At this point, you should buy this comic. Like, I guess, but I need to know what the lots, lots more is, right? Like, that's why you have to buy the comics, David. <laughs> so then it's not enough said. Exactly. It's enough said for the cover. Uh, Mark, question for you. In the credits for this issue, it lists John Romita as artist emeritus. Yeah. But... But he also, but uh, uh, I think it's Frank Giacoa is the inker. So do we know, do you know what Romita did? He probably did some of the layouts, I'm guessing. And then, yeah. and then um, Gil Kane probably did the actual pencils. But yeah, I, I, I learned that apparently um, as, I think Gil Kane's a great artist, but apparently he was like very difficult to work with because he would like often lose track of the stories. Um, oh really? He would just like spend like he would probably work well with like Brian Michael Bendis today. Like he would just spend like twenty pages like breaking down like what should have been just the first panel. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so like, Romita would often have to come in and kind of like clean up Gil Kane's mess. Um, so okay, that's that's what I'm okay. guessing happened. I don't know if yeah. that was specifically the case here, but I know that happened a lot with Gil Kane issues on Spider Man. So I'm gonna guess that happened. Yeah, here. yeah, and this is the beginning of Gil Kane's run on Spider Man. Yeah. Um, who I, I also like Gil Kane. He, I think he gets a lot of flack nowadays, and he certainly has some noticeable ticks, but what artist doesn't? I'm pro Gil Kane. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. I like the Gil Kane up nose shots, but that's just. Yeah. Me. <laughs> he does have a thing with up nose shots. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, get, we get two Gil Kane trademarks in this issue. We get the up nose shot and a Gil Kane head swarm. Yes. Where you have the character standing in a panel surrounded by a bunch of heads. Dude, that's Spider Man's whole thing is he's constantly plagued by floating heads of people. <laughs> it's like. I think that came with the spider bite, too. Uh, Gil yeah. Kane is definitely my favorite artist named Gil. <laughs> Bold uh, so Spidey and the Green Goblin are fighting, and Spider-Man is reluctant to do any kind of serious damage to Green Goblin because he is, of course, his best friend's dad, and that's a recurring bit throughout the story. Uh, so the go- Goblin overpowers him, and... Uh, Spider-Man kind of accidentally fakes his death so that the goblin leaves him thinking that he's been defeated. And when he goes home... Wait, hold on. I want to talk about this page a little more. <laughs> okay. There's a couple of things going on here that I love. Uh, one is that, because he's like, oh, so the Green Goblin won the first round. And it's like, not really. You just hid. And then he let him get away. <laughs> um, and I love the Green Goblin, who has now fought with Spider-Man quite a few times. It's like, he's gone. 
must have fallen to his death. <laughs> That's the end of that. I also like what? how Spider-Man's special move against the Green Goblin, he does this repeatedly, as he jumps on his sh- shoulders and wraps his legs around his <laughs> neck. He does it all the time. And he's and able then, to steer him that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the final point, which is the main point I want to make, is this last panel where he's pulling off his mask and saying, how can I protect myself? How can I guard my secret identity? How? <laughs> it's like, one is keep your fucking mask on, buddy. <laughs> Don't pull your mask off in public and ask that question. It's foolish. Uh, this, this fight sequence, uh, features one of my, uh, grammatical pet peeves, which is (laughs) the use of the phrase revert back. Oh. Which is, which is redundant because revert means to go back. They're getting paid by the word. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, and Mark, this is a question for you. I, I noted Spider-Man, and you kind of pointed this out, Ryan, he makes a comment about how he's fought the goblins so often. Hasn't it only been twice at this point? His first appearance and then... 3839 when you find out his identity and all of that or is there another goblin story in there i'm forgetting yeah, there are a couple more in between there there were a couple more dick okay. dick lee stories like there was the crime master story oh, oh I swear, yeah. that's right i forget the green um, goblin is and in then there was actually and this and i i kind of get bummed that they never referenced this there was an issue between 39 and 40 and and these it was the spectacular spider-man magazine Oh, oh, that was yeah. this then, yeah, and and that came out in between the drug issues and the 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 uh, where the goblin unmasked one, and and like that was like the first time where like Norman's amnesia just breaks for it. It's like for one, it's like at a dinner party actually, which is like really, it's like Harry, MJ, Gwen, and Peter having dinner at Norman's, and he like sees Peter, and all of a sudden becomes the goblin. Um, and which is kind of why, like when, like in the beginning of the story where he's going on and on about his amnesia and how it'll never, he'll never regain his memory. <laughs> yeah. like, well, actually, like, you know, like about a year ago he did, if you remember. <laughs> Randomly and without any significant cause. Yeah, like, you know, almost killed you and your friends. It was kind of sad, but, um, yeah. And so, that was like, sorry. No, no, no. I was just say, so that was like the other major story kind of bridging the gap between the, the, la- the like the big one where they both unmask each other yeah this one yeah well and that was the final ditko stanley thing right it was over the identity of the green goblin well (laughs) um that's the that's the that's the the favorite story the simple story because the green goblin for a long time because i know he showed up a bunch because i remember that you always see him like he would take his he'd be a shadowy figure and it always made you wonder who he was like you were they led up to this reveal of who he was yeah i mean they, they it was this long running mystery and you know the whole thing was like when were they going to pull the punchline and there was this whole story that Dicko wanted him to be a nobody and and Stanley thought that was dumb like how can they build this guy up but at the same token when they revealed him as Norman Osborn at that time it wasn't wasn't that Osborn was a name at that point I mean you know and like Dicko has like later gone back and said of course I knew it was Osborn the whole time that's why I gave him that weird hair <laughs> I mean, no joke. He's like, I gave him distinct, I gave him distinct characteristics, like a distinct hairdo, and it's like, okay. I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, if you say so, Crazy Randy and man. <laughs> I mean, all those guys, like, what they took credit for later is pretty problematic, you know? Yeah. I read a really convincing Jack Kirby article about how he created Spider-Man. Yes, he, he, he does think that, which is kind yeah. of... Because he, he got it first before Ditko, but, like, he wanted him to be, like, some superhero with a magic ring. And Stanley was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, well, the problem with all that who created who stuff is that there's, it depends on how you define creation. And is it the person who comes up with the look of the character? Yeah. Is the person who comes up with the personality, the powers, the, the, name. the name, the shtick, the sort yeah. of, you know, storytelling engine of the character? And Sometimes those are all the same people, and sometimes they're not, and that's when things get kind of contested. Well, know? the other problem is these guys were just jobbers churning out crap all the time, so yeah. if anyone had any idea that this shit would last more than six months, then right. it would have been yeah. handled really differently. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to, to, to Austin's point, there was actually a documentary, um, oh god, maybe about ten years ago, it was called In Search of Steve Ditko. Yep. And, and yep. yeah, I mean, they pressed stan lee on that big time and mm-hmm. basically his answer was what austin just said was like i think you know the creator is the one who came up with the idea that was kind of because mm-hmm. like you know they were like quibbling over his language about saying that he quote unquote considered ditko a co-creator and like, yeah yeah like, what do you mean considered yeah <laughs> yeah so that was kind of you know i think it's the creator the one who came up with the idea <laughs> yeah exactly then what Although I, I did makes me the crew makes him because <laughs> I do think Stan Lee is a big huckster. There's a really great video you can watch on YouTube, and it's Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane creating Overkill, <laughs> and uh, Stan Lee is like the host of it, and they keep being like, "Yeah, let's put some pouches on him. Yeah, we'll do this, and he'll be a cyborg." <laughs> and Stan keeps being like, "This is a great creation." That we created. <laughs> and it's like kind of a gag, but you're like, this is totally what a lot of people went, went through. <laughs> and that's Rob Liefeld married to the sister of Tori from Saved by the Bell. That's why I brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also a great line in the Spider-Man Greek Goblin fight at the beginning here where, where Spider-Man's like, you know, come on, Norman, I just want to help you. And Greg Goblin's like, I want to help you too. To an early grave! <laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> like, oh, that's some, that's some top-notch villain dialogue right there. I also just love when they say what they're doing. Now I can blind you with my sparkler spray. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so after the fight, uh, Peter comes home to his apartment and he finds Harry is being all butthurt about how MJ was fawning over Peter and decides he's going to pop a few pills to make himself feel better. They do make a link between, because uh, these are like, I presume, like prescription drugs that are over the counter and how. Yeah. And I guess I, it's a little more subtly that you can create that link between prescription drugs to then using street drugs, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a real problem, which is kind of heroin epidemic i think the yeah the opioid yeah opioid yeah when peter makes a day. peter makes a comment when when harry's like i'm just going to bed taking some of these pills and <laughs> peter thinks to himself like what makes harry so weak yeah that's yeah. there's some problematic weak talk from <laughs> yeah because and and mainly because it's presented 
without any kind of like question. He's just yeah. like, oh, Harry needs pills. That makes him weak. It's just a statement of fact. Like it's the whole thing. It's like Harry's too weak to deal with his issues with Mary Jane, so he has to use drugs. And I'm like, I, don't I think, think that's yeah. You should that's what they're going for. Yeah, but then yeah, I don't know if resorting to drug use means you're weak necessarily. Yeah, that's I I think it's that was the mentality in the 70s mm-hmm. and for a long time after that, but I feel like that's a we have a different mentality about that nowadays. I mean, I think that's the like Stanley heavy-handed mentality. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean I'm not trying to defend like kind of how they frame this, but like I think it also kind of plays into the whole point that they were making in the last issue with randy about you know who does drugs because like i mean there's you know he's also kind of using it to make this point of well he's got a car and he's got his own how his own pad and he's mm-hmm. got everything what does he need pills for you know like what what what, what could what what void could they possibly be filling without you know so it's like look mm-hmm. everybody could be a victim of this i guess is kind of where they're yeah. trying to go with it but yeah. it's it's phrased yeah. very very awkwardly and so then to to make the connection between going from prescribed uh, legal pills to street street pills, uh, <laughs> the next day at school, uh, MJ blows off Harry again. And so he is targeted by a drug dealer who, A, resembles Stan Lee, <laughs> and B, looks like a drug dealer. <laughs> to the point where, like, if you were the cops and you were like, I want to arrest some drug dealers, you drive around and be like, hey, there's one. This guy comes out of nowhere and he knows yeah. him. He's like, hey, Osborne, hey, wait up. And I was like, who is this? Well, he saw <laughs> Harry get rejected by Mary Jane and he just smelled blood in the water, I think. And he's like, this is a guy who's going to need some pills really right now. <laughs> But can we first ask, just discuss what the hell Peter is wearing here? <laughs> <laughs> this is another great 70s outfit. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, like this, this is the first one, I think. <laughs> He's wearing like a daishiki. No. <laughs> what? Is it like jewelry? He's wearing like a big fancy necklace. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's wearing like a fucking ball gown necklace. And even Mary Jane is like, where'd you get those chains, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> that's very, very odd. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, he, Peter strikes has ever struck me as either a fashion horse or much of an accessorizer. You got him from Gwen. I feel like oh, Peter scowls a lot in these issues, and it's not a good. He's look got a lot on his mind, David. Back <laughs> off. <laughs> I like a little softer, nicer Peter. <laughs> <laughs> we know how you like your Peter. <laughs> No, I love that aspect of Spider-Man that, like, he's always preoccupied with all this shit that's going on, and then everyone thinks he's an asshole because of it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and we are getting we are getting floating heads galore. In this, I know. Oh, yeah. this, in this <laughs> we missed the 80 Gwen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the different shades of Gwen yeah. as, he, uh, as he thinks about her. And uh, uh, Harry makes a, a another subtle sort of drug point here, where he he buys the drugs from the drug dealer, but insists he's not getting hooked. Yeah, it's which very is heavy-handed, though. Ways of, yeah, like, yeah. There's no way I'd ever get addicted to these. Right, illustrating the fact that anyone can get hooked, even if you don't think you're gonna get hooked. 
So then uh, Peter goes off to to check on Norman. Uh, hold on a sec. I don't mean to like be preoccupied with this, but he's putting his Spider-Man costume over the chain. <laughs> <now. laughs> okay, I totally missed that. That's fantastic. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> I'm willing to accept the the caveat that he has a Spider-Man costume under his normal clothes, and that he can live that way. Like that's not too hot and it doesn't, you know, no one notices it and whatnot. He's got spidey abilities. Yeah. But the idea that he puts the costume on over his street clothes, that seems weird. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly no, no, when he's cause wearing he's got like a chains. webbing backpack he's wearing and that's where all oh, his okay. clothes are. Okay. I, I, I guess he's just, I guess he's more committed to this ensemble than I thought he should be. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, he, like, perfectly arranges his chains uh, repeatedly. <laughs> he likes his chains. All right, sorry. So, he, uh, on, on, I guess, the strength of crossed fingers, he goes to Norman's office in the hopes that maybe everything just happened to be back to normal now. And he, Norman is not there, and he's like, I'm sure, I'm sure he's just sleeping it off. That's probably okay. <laughs> What the fuck did he think would happen? Like, I'd like to report to Mr. Osborne. He's just going to be like, hey, Norman. Like, what is he going to start fighting? He's <laughs> <laughs> just going to go, like, clock in an eight-hour day? What the fuck is going to happen? He's like, I know you're trying to kill me, but can I get some overtime? Uh, so he comes home, and he discovers that Mary Jane has broken off her relationship with Harry, which prompts Harry to be uh, something of a get to Harry, or to Peter. And almost kicks him out of the apartment. But then he's like, oh, no, I'll, just, I'll take some of these pills. Take some of these pills and everything will be fine. I've never seen Harry like this. All these highs and lows. Exactly. It's it's like taking drugs as some sort of emotional roller coaster. <laughs> uh, but he's not too worried because yeah, he's still got to go. Like, he's got to go look for the goblin. So he spends <laughs> the night searching for him and uh, doesn't find him. But when he comes home, he's got a strung out Harry who's having visions of pills dancing in his head, begging him for help to take him to the hospital because he's got a bad trip going on. And that's when the goblin appears outside Harry's window. I want to say, too, like on a, a real like comics critique thing. I love the panel where Harry's like, now I'll just go in and lay down. And it's like just this, this, the doorway and then the light from the doorway and it's all dark. I just think that's a really nice panel. It's good stuff. Good, good, good Gil Kane. <laughs> so issue 98, uh, Goblin attacks Peter and, uh, Peter and Peter is able to fend him off and get Harry the help he needs by pointing out, Harry's prone, unconscious form, and this rattles the the part of the Green Goblin that is still Norman, and causes him to fly off, so that Peter is able to get Harry to a hospital. So I want to see like how they resolve that the Green Goblin breaks in through their window, like <laughs> he destroys the window. I I mean I guess he's probably paying for that apartment. So maybe he just has to cover the cost of the damage himself, or I don't know how you'd explain that. Like if the, if it's insured, like oh the Green Goblin broke in through our window, so uh, we need that repaired. Yeah. Uh. So Peter's able to get Harry to the hospital, and he straight up blames Mary Jane for Harry going on a drug trip, which seems 
a little unfair. <laughs> a little. Um, it's your mean, fault he took drugs. Yeah, yeah, maybe you should have just stayed with him, even if you don't want to be with him. <laughs> he forced those drugs in his mouth, Peter. So I don't know. Um, yeah, that that's, uh, once again, Mary Jane not portrayed in the best of lights. Um, and so he goes, he goes off to college. He goes off to school. Basically, to berate Mary Jane for what's, <laughs> yeah, what an like, he's not just like this is all Mary Jane's fault. He's like, I'm gonna make sure Mary Jane knows this is her fault. <laughs> and while on <laughs> campus, he gets uh, accosted by Harry's Stanley esque drug dealer, and uh, then he just he beats the crap out of the drug dealer and his goons. Well, which is but he does it of fantastic what, judo, right? Because that was yeah. Like, I can't let him know my secret identity. He'll have to think uh, it's karate or something. <laughs> No, I love that shit where he has to beat him up just well enough <laughs> to make it convincing that he's a, just did it. He doesn't have powers. He calls his gun a rod, which I didn't know was slang. But is that something, or did they make it? I don't know. I've heard that. Oh, that hit the drug dealer says refers to his gun as a rod. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard that before, as a slang term for a gun. Well, we weren't born yet, so we'll never know. <laughs> Uh, and then we have a little interlude at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with Gwen. No, yeah. Uh, where she's basically, and it's, it's, it's set up for future stories. She's coming to terms with things that happened in the past with Peter and how she kind of wants to still be with Peter and is going to go home. Um, uh, question for you, Mark, and I hate coming to you as like the expert on Spider-Man stuff, but, uh, she mentions her uncle Arthur, which is who she's staying with in London. Yes. Is that the that's Arthur Stacy who comes back in the like late nineties, right? Correct. With Jill and uh, that other guy. It's Jill and I'm trying. Was was that Seward Trainer or something? Or yeah, uh, yeah, the clone clone fun. (laughs) Yep, yep. Okay. Once again, mining Stanley's farts for continuity because I'm sure he was (laughs) just like, I need a name for Gwen's uncle, and it's gonna be Arthur. And then Howard Mackey was like, I'm gonna bring back Arthur Stacy. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Well, if you really, if you really want to get into the uh, the bad continuity, is at what point does she have an affair with Norman Osborn and they have two children? <laughs> that's uh, that's after this, right, Mark? Uh, I think she, or is it when she's in it's London? When she's in Europe. So uh, okay, she's, she's it's like this issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is she could be pregnant with Norman's kids so, at this point. So in time. wait, how is Norman having sex with Gwen and being the Green Goblin at this moment? Well, you know, when he thought Peter was dead, he had to. Just... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna fly over to the jolly old England and get some Stacy Punana. <laughs> And then I'll come back real quick. Yeah, your story checks out. I'm going to say that was the worst Spider-Man story of all time. Was that? That was Straczynski, right? I fucking hated that. Yeah. That was, although he, like, has since, like, passed the buck on that, which he... Yeah, he claims it was handed down by Quesada. Would you agree, Austin? What? Would you agree? Uh, No, One More Day would be the worst Spider-Man story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Fair enough. (laughs) No, nah, I'm yeah. still I'm actually uh, still with the original thought on that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it is sins past. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a tough call. <laughs> Neither is great. Let's just put it that way. Um <laughs> uh, so we have an interlude at the Daily Bugle, um, which basically serves as a non too subtle message about drug use. Yeah, well G. Joe and the Jameson's like, 
what's up with this drug story? He's like, you're not going to take it out. He's like, no, no, I just want to know. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Irrational, boss. <laughs> I mean, in Robbie's defense, uh, it's the right reaction to have with Jonas. Well, starts saying, questions, so. well he, he seemed to be very... Jameson seemed to be very aggressive to start, and then suddenly I was like, no, why are you getting all up in my business? I'm just curious what you're going to write about. <laughs> and so the angle they come up with for the story about Harry being on drugs is to use it as a way to point out that drugs can affect rich white kids, not just black kids. Which makes them like, important, you know? That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we have to care about it. Exactly. Uh, is that something reporters really do is look for an angle? Don't you just, aren't you supposed to just write what happened? No, I think uh, an angle is a real dated. thing. Yeah, I think, eh, it depends on your job, I yeah. It depends on what fake news institution you work for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's like, are you a columnist or are you a reporter? I guess it all depends. Do you love America or not? <laughs> I Adeline. want to say, too, I love all the, um, like, when Peter's walking around the city, like, there's, like, really detailed pictures of just, like, other strangers in the foreground and stuff, just, like, wandering around the city. Like, the filler characters are, like, very well drawn in this. Oh, like the background people and stuff? Yeah, well, sometimes they're in the foreground. Like, uh, I'm on page 10, and the first two panels, there's just, like, very well-rendered drawings of, like, total strangers that are there for no reason. Those those kind of uh, layouts always make me wonder if they're people I should know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if they're creators that they wrote it in a story oh, or like interesting. somebody's yeah. family that they're using as an inspiration or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I do that a lot in my comics. I've actually, you've probably been in on that. Like on Facebook, I'll be like, Hey, do you want to be in a crowd scene? And just like, cause it's yeah. hard to make up yeah. a bunch of people like who's running from the monster. Uh, it'll be my <laughs> friend from high school. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that night Peter goes out in search of the goblin once again, uh, hoping to end things once and for all. And the goblin blasts him with a gas, which conveniently removes his wall crawling <laughs> abilities, but just his wall crawling abilities. Yeah, like what? Where did this gas come from, and how did he develop it? And he puts a lot of money into scientific research. <laughs> he's a chemist, David. He runs a big company. Was this like a hail mary from him? Like he's like, I hope this chemical works the way I think it will. I think he mentions it earlier. Like, I can't wait to use that chemical or something. I feel like <laughs> there's something. It... I want a Spider-Man cartoon with Ryan doing the voice of the Green Goblin. <laughs> but again, why not just make a gas that kills him? <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he makes, like, Spider-Man makes a point about how, like, the gas is able to, like, seep through his costume and, like, you know, hit his skin or whatever. That's right. Why not give chlorine gas that ability? Yeah. Yeah. Right. This always bothers me. This bothered me too, actually, because one thing I really liked about the progression of Spider-Man stories is that he kind of modifies his costume based on things that happen. Like early mm-hmm. on, he runs out of web fluid and then he starts having extra packs on his belt. And he's getting fucked up with gas all the time early on. <laughs> like gas is his Achilles heel. And he actually is supposed to have like a gas filter in his mask. Well, like this, that's an established through thing. Through the costume and onto his skin. Yeah, I think this was like a skin oh, contact. Out of oh, it's a skin contact gas. All right, <laughs> you win this round, <laughs> Stanley. <laughs> so just to be clear, 
the gas that takes away your sticking to walls ability. <laughs> you don't have to breathe it in just if it gets on your skin. Yeah, it has to seep through the costume, which apparently it does. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and so he's lost his wall crawling ability and he's run out of web fluid. Yeah, which, that was just which like, is great. That just kind of happened, right? Yeah. Right, which is great for the Green Goblin, but that wasn't part of the Green Goblin's <laughs> plan. No. Uh, so he is forced to resort to a trick where he, like, hides and then jumps high off of a building and lands on the Green Goblin's shoulders. There's only one way to take down the Green Goblin. <laughs> and that's to wrap your thighs firmly around his head. His neck, yeah. And then he's able to steer him that way, right? <laughs> and yeah. then steer him. Via thighs. Via your muscly Spider-Man thighs. Well, one thing he says is he's like, you know, you took away my wall crawling my wall crawling ability, but not my strength. You should have done that. I'm like, why are you giving tips to the Green Goblin here, Spider? <laughs> because you have to say everything out loud to explain it to the audience. He's gonna forget all of this forever anyway. Yeah, exactly. Next time you need to sap the strength of my thighs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thigh sapping strength gas. Yeah. <laughs> so he uses the power of his thighs to maneuver the Green Goblin to the hospital where Harry is being treated. I like to think that that was like 10 miles away, too. Oh, yeah, to like way across town. <laughs> like that it took a really long time to get him over there. Well, see, I can kind of buy him being able to steer the Green Goblin with his thighs, but it's the acceleration and deceleration that I'm a little confused by. Oh, yeah, because right. he Tap like your head twice. Yeah. Um, and I was going to call shenanigans on, on Harry having a convenient... Uh, hospital room with like a big window overlooking the city but i'm like yeah he's a rich white guy he probably wouldn't get a choice you're like this is following the uh him being steered by his (laughs) fuck at this point whatever (laughs) uh and so he he maneuvers him into harry's hospital window and the sight of his son uh prone drugged out in the hospital causes the green goblin to faint i want to say too because if you look at the bookends of this one issue, it both begins and ends with the Green Goblin seeing Harry strung out on drugs. So why does it only bother him at the end? Because uh, he's like he's he's in the hospital now, I guess. I don't know. It's gotten more serious. <laughs> I'm just saying the story about Spider-Man and the Green Goblin doesn't seem entirely plausible to me. <laughs> uh what is also not terribly plausible is that once once Norman's fainted, Spider-Man's like, well, I'm going to strip him of his costume, yep. burn it, and we're just going to hope that he wakes up with a little memory. Yeah, he's pretty things. confident in this plan, too. Like, no way he's not going to wake up with amnesia, right? I, I, guarantee, like, I got this. I guarantee the next time he wakes up, he won't murder my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, at the same time that uh, Peter, he's filled with hope as the story ends. At the same time, he's hoping that uh, that Norman will just magically forget uh, everything. He's also hoping Harry will realize that he can't solve his problems with pills. He just hopes that, though. Right? Yeah. It seems like he's Correct. got a lot of unrealistic hopes at the end. That's what I'm saying. He's filled with hope as this as this issue ends. Like, all his exposition on this whole page is all, like, totally wrong. 
When he's normal, he remembers nothing about the goblin or Spidey's real identity. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure, that'll happen. And also, (laughs) Harry won't do any more drugs. And also... uh... (laughs) And he turns out to be wrong about both things. I mean, the short term... Uh, Norman does forget, but he remembers eventually, and uh, Harry keeps using drugs. Um, also, this is one of those, uh, I've pointed this out in my X-Men reviews a few times, it's a plot point that writers understandably breeze past, but one of the things that Peter mentions is that he burns the Green Goblin costume, mm-hmm. which means he see Norman Osborn naked. <laughs> oh, yeah. And presumably then dressed him in, like... Underwear, at Something like you think he goes commando in the goblin costume? I think he free balls it. Yeah, I think he's like goblin underwear. Probably he has some chains on underneath. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like you know in in comic book stories where like the the villains capture the heroes in their civilian clothes, but then when they wake up in murder world or whatever, they're wearing their costumes, and you're like, wait, so the villain stripped them down and put them in their costumes? Yes. That seems unfortunate. It's a little weird. I mean, they're villains. You know. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a level of villainy that usually goes unacknowledged. I just like that Spider-Man carried Norman Osborn, and then he burned his costume, and he put him naked in his bed, and then <laughs> as he was leaving, he said, there, I burned his costume, and got him safely home again. <laughs> now I will swing away. Hope everything will be fine. And yes, at the very end... He runs into Gwen, who has returned from London, and uh, embraces Peter. Impregnated. Gives him a happy ending. Impregnated with the spawn of Norman Osborn. (laughs) I know. She's like, I gotta pin this on someone. Peter, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, it's your baby. So, what... What do we think about this? Was it... (laughs) (laughs) What do we even talk about? What... uh, How effective uh, at... at presenting its drug anti-drug message do you think this was anyone i mean it barely even has an anti-drug <laughs> message it's it's more the moral of the story is here's how you is beat the green goblin with your legs <laughs> if i could def- if, i mean for me what i actually what i like about these issues is that um i feel like Marvel Stanley, you know, they they attempted to do something somewhat educational here, but they they did really do a good job sneaking it into just a standard yeah. Spider-Man story. I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, outside of a couple of moments where they kind of get heavy-handed about it, this really doesn't break the, you know, the regular narrative of the comics. It's just, you know, it's just another facet of the comics. And I mean, in that end it's it's successful in that it kind of just works in a different kind of message in a way that a, probably a regular reader wouldn't even think it's that obvious. And maybe, I don't know if they would learn anything from it, but it's like, oh, okay. I'm still getting a cool comic book out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't want to ding this for being too subtle because I feel like we usually ding very special episodes for being too not subtle in the way that they grind their normal goings-ons to a halt. You know, we stop the funny so that we can yeah. impart this message, and it's jarring because you're like, well, this is usually a funny show, but now you're being all preachy and whatnot. So it's like, like you said, Mark, this is just a Spider-Man story that every yeah. once in a while you're like, oh, wait, yeah, they're trying to teach me about drugs. So 
there I guess there's a fine line between subtlety and sledgehammering it and maybe this far falls too close to subtlety but I guess I'd rather that than the sledgehammer approach well yeah I agree that it's a little it might be a little too like I said if I was just reading it as a kid I probably just would kind of not eat the drug use part wouldn't really be imparted all that much in the game or mm-hmm. think about it but one thing I've you can start noticing with all these like PSAs and, and stories not just this story but most of what we do, do is that it it always happens to other ancillary characters and never to the main character. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it and it's and I feel like that has kind of the effect of it's not going to happen to me. Like it might happen to like a friend of mine, but it'll never be me that does it because we're the heroes of our own story, so to speak. Except me, I never think of myself as a hero to myself. I never, I never think of you that way. Yeah, I know. I'm always the sidekick in my stories, but uh, most people are the heroes of their own stories, and so it's like, I, I think it gets these special episodes, so to speak, are more interesting if it actually happens to the main character because that's mm-hmm. something you can really. But then when they do it to the main character, they usually don't follow up on it well, too. You know, whereas. With ancillary characters, you can always just pretend like they're getting the help off screen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think Spider-Man would probably benefit if he just took like a muscle relaxer. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a really hard life. Like he's under a lot of pressure. He just smoke a dude. But I think some Mary Jane wouldn't hurt him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I do like though that yeah, usually special episodes really break format. And this doesn't at all. It just feels like a three-part Green Goblin story that happens to have some drugs in it. Like, if it was... I think maybe even if it wasn't for the whole uh, controversy with the Comics Code Authority, that we wouldn't even have thought about this as very special, you know? Yeah, um, yeah it's, what's, it's, it's the... It's the denial of the, of the Comics Code stamp and the backstory that Stanley was approached to do a very special episode, yeah. basically... And that this is the this is the result of that. I think my gripe with it, though, if I if I were to have one, is that it's just about like drugs, it's sort of like yeah. an abstract <laughs> concept. Like I have no idea what drugs he's doing. I've never, I don't know. Like uh, I've never had a guy come out of an alley and been like, "Hey, you want to buy these pills? Like, <laughs> what are they?" So I just... yeah, I will say I like that the villain of this story is the Green Goblin. And that it's, you know, Harry is the one that's affected with the drugs and, you know, his dad is the villain. So that gives that personal connection. But it isn't like Stan Lee created a villain called like the drug dealer who's, you know, I'm reminded of of G.I. Joe in the don't do drugs early 90s hubbub that had their uh, subgroup of drug enforcement agents that fought a stereotypical drug dealer cabal kind of a thing. And it's. The drugs are there, but they're not, you know, personified by a campy supervillain. I have the Spider-Man, like, pamphlet that's a uh, a, a safe sex awareness thing that <laughs> it does have a villain that's made up just for it. And he just, like, comes to, like, a class and misinforms kids about how they would get pregnant and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I wanted to tack that onto this episode. Is you this told me. Abstinence no. only? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or 
is. Mark, do you do you have that as part of your collection? Do you need to reopen your The Prodigy. Collection? That's what he's called. Spider Man fights the Prodigy. That's the name of the guy. No, but I but I do and Austin, I think I joked with you about this uh before we did this episode. I do own the the Spider Man Power Pack PSA, the Where yeah. Where Did He Touch You PSA. <laughs> I uh, I've got that on our list of of topics for future episodes, so we may have you back on for that one. That's where it turns out that Peter Parker was molested, right? That's that's yeah. All right. Well, should I bring up <laughs> <laughs> that Spider Man visited my elementary school? Oh, that's right. <laughs> to teach us of the dangers of child molesters. That's We've, right. I feel it, like this comes up a lot. And yeah, we, we talked about it maybe our first episode with that different strokes episode. But uh, was that where that first got but, brought up? I know I, we've talked about it in an episode, before. but I don't think we ever brought up your our pseudo confirmation that it actually happened and it wasn't a fever dream of mine, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, we did get confirmation that that was a thing that happened outside of David's mind. Yeah, that like the mar the person like there was one guy who played the Marvel Spider Man like in like in person appearances, right? Who was yeah, sanctioned who, by Marvel, I should say. Yeah, the one who got married at, at uh, Shea Stadium. Yeah. Was it Shea? Yep. Yeah. But apparently he was very much an advocate for anti-child. I don't know what to <laughs> child, child protection. Abuse. I know, I can't. <laughs> he took the hard, hard line stance that child molestation is bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then he'd go talk to kids. And so I think the, that might have been the one who came to our my elementary school and talk to a gym full of uh, little kids. Yeah. I never had any PSAs like that in my school. Yeah. I didn't realize how special I was. <laughs> yeah, I think the best we ever got was McGruff the Crime Dog. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we should do some McGruff stuff. Yeah. Take a bite out of crime. Yeah. <laughs> or Smokey the Bear. Oh, he was cool. Uh, David, what did you learn I... from issues i just learned well i learned you can steer the green goblin (laughs) (laughs) and i learned you can't trust people who have blonde hair and a black mustache yeah that's an important safety tip (laughs) uh ryan what did you learn i learned that if peter parker really wants to protect his secret identity he shouldn't take his mask off Well, he's sticking to a building and talking about his need to protect his secret identity. Also, that Stan Lee will sell you some really good pills. <laughs> uh, Mark, what did you learn? Uh, I learned if I want to have a good time, I will not be doing drugs with Harry Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he only has bad trips. <laughs> he's dead now anyway, isn't he? No, they brought him back. Oh, oh they yeah. did? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Part of part of brand new day, they resurrected him. Oh, that's right. That was dumb. <laughs> well, how long did the Green Goblin stay dead? About like twenty years yeah, or 20 something, years. right? Yeah. Because I feel like well, you guys were talking about the villain question, and I feel like when I was kind of like watching the cartoons or whatever, and kind of into comics in general, and the Spider Man, like he just wasn't around or anything. So he was just kind of like yeah. an old villain that was a part of a iconic story, but not like the villain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, he he managed to survive in in uh, people's minds, I guess, because he killed Gwen. Yeah. Well, and then Harry was the Green Goblin for a long time. Yeah, too. they did do that. Yeah. So. And yeah. Harry's psychiatrist was the Green Goblin for a and while. And you had the oh, really? Goblin too. Yeah. Which yep. Yeah. The Green Goblin, basically. 
Yeah, but Norman himself was dead for a good long while before the, uh, the Clone Saga. Before they decided to double down on the Clone Saga. <laughs> yeah, how can we make this the worst story ever? <laughs> uh, and I learned that drugs are for everyone. <laughs> uh, Mark, where can we find you online? And where can we buy your book about Spider-Man? Uh, yeah, well, um, with the book first, you can. it's 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. You can find that um, through the publisher. It's triumphbooks.com. And then you can also find it at all other major retailers and online retailers, things like that. Um, and then you can find my stuff um, on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Uh, on this podcast is Amazing Spider Talk. And the uh, website is chasingamazingblog.com. Excellent. And David, how about you? Uh, you can find me steering Green Goblins on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> with my thighs <laughs> and my tweets. Not just Green Goblins. Yeah. You'd be amazed what you can steer with your thighs. Um, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to leap onto my shoulders one of these days, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, like shit, I'm late. When you're, yeah, <laughs> when you least suspect, Austin. Uh, at Doctor Bits, that's Doctor spelled out, and you can find me at therealgentlemanofleisure.com. And Ryan, uh, my website is ohyesverynice.com. I was gonna try to say something funny, and then nothing came to me. <laughs> ohyesverynice.com. That's an art website, uh, and that's also my Twitter handle and my Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's good. That'll get us through to the next plug. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter, dodging David's thighs <laughs> at Austin Gorton. And you can read my writing at therealgentlemanofleisure.com as well. As for the show, you can follow us on Twitter at AVSEpod. Uh, check out our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash a very special episode. Uh, you can email us at avsepodcast at gmail.com and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, but only do that if you're going to give us like five stars. No. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not, you know, if we're a two-star show, I don't know why you're still listening to us. Yeah. Don't, um, don't bother rating a two-star show. Yeah. And uh, if you don't like iTunes, we are also available via Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, and we are part of the River City Podcast Federation. Uh, you can check out uh, their shows, of, of which we are part, rivercitypodcastfederation.com. And uh, that uh, that about does it. So for a very special episode, I am Austin Gordon, and I am reminding you that it's better to be swinging than slinging. Enough said. <laughs> Excelsior! We just recorded a podcast, and now I'm going to eat some food and then go to sleep. That was a very special episode We dissected that shit from head to toe Did the time fly by or was it slow? Got so many life lessons Oh how we've grown Seen so much TV that we're gonna explode Next time on a very special episode Hi, I'm Chris Hotomy. And I'm Kyle McCormick. 
We are the host of Reboot, Reuse, Recycle. Kyle, what's this podcast about? Well, Chris, in Reboot, Reuse, Recycle, me and you and a guest, usually a comedian of some kind, watch a movie and then it's remake, and then we goof on it. That we do, and we've had some great guests in the past. We've had Riley Silverman. Hutch Harris. Kate Willett. Uh, others. Justin Cusan. Justin Cusan. Uh, and of Portland greats like Caitlin Warehouser, Shane right. Hosey, Lucia Fasano. Right, Kevin and, Arnold. Exactly. Angels and demons alike. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we are a fun show. We hope you listen to us on the River City Podcast Federation. And peace Bye. out. <laughs>